0: Though this young holy man gave me no name for his story and told it to me in no certain way one might consider this method or that genre, you might prefer to think it merely a tale, an allegory of the futility of power and the cruelty of truth, or an allegory of the promiscuity of fear, or you might think it a fable about earth's sweetest poison love as it is being stirred with a bitter tip of Cupid's arrow and fed to damnable lips cup By cup, by cup. But what if his story is true? That's what my lover asked me when in a moment of sweet abandon the kind, when in dripping sweat one forgets to think before one speaks, because this is the life here and now, and nothing else matters. I opened my mouth, and out flew the story. What if that young holy man is still here watching you, my lover asked me. What if he's smiling? What if his eyes are twinkling and his tongue is tingling seeing you and me because he is wrapped in the shambles somehow and knows how to slip in and out like wind, like fire, like molten lava or water? You're kidding me. No, I'm serious. I had not told my lover the question the young holy man asked me. Now for sure I couldn't. You see, when that young holy man took me up into his truth, He was smooth, and he was clever. He was talented, and he was clear. And when he left me on that lush grass, his tune filled my ear, such that when I travel, or when my lover and I are wrapped in our sweetest symphony, and we reach that pitch, you know, just when we're about to clamor for air, I hear the rumble, and I remember this or that of which he said, and he did say, Full belly cat stir water just to watch fish dart around in bowl. Yes, that's exactly what he said. Hello and welcome to The Journey, your radio show. Hosted by Neville D'Angelo, author of A Soundbite Life and Flight of the Fused Monkeys. A PRG Emerging Technologies Forum keynote speaker and founder of Rio Sports. I am Joseph Ellison. Enjoy! <laughs> Hello, I am Neville. Welcome. Today's session is for our reading series. We're sharing excerpts from one of our most popular books from the five-star series, Flight of the Fused Monkeys. If you're one who enjoys intrigue, mystery, and adventure, this is a book you will find not only hard to put down, you'll return to time and again. I know, because that's what many readers tell me. Its audio dramatizations will be out in mid-May, and you'll be able to find it in Audible and iTunes. It is a story full of fire and water and metal and air, a ticklish kind of story with giggling angels flushed with the sweetest honey sticks. It is a heart-pumping story. Eyes through the black night slip through cracks in broad daylight. Black dusts rise above flattened cities deemed to infest to thrive. Eagles and roaches spy. No one listens. When the young holy man was done telling me these things, he unsheathed his flute and said, Close your eyes. I closed my eyes. He touched my eyelids. He played his flute. His tune lifted me into a swirl and took me high above a crimson furl where I could not distinguish flute from violin, heartbeat from drumbeat, trembling streams from tricky piano keys or the west wind from old guitar strings. I could see what he was playing. Smack-dab mid one of his musical flourishes, he stopped his tune. I opened my eyes. He took the flute from his lips and asked me a question. It is a strange question. I used to think it a small question, but it is huge. Nestled between thick, protruding roots of a huge tree, my head braced against its massive trunk, His story came alive to me again, as if it were a dream or a vision, vivid and vital, puzzling and poignant and strong. This was on the day I ran into the trembling jungle and was lost. It was in the dead of that night. His question came to my mind like songs in the night. It is a strange question. I used to think it a weird question. This question is huge. Now this young holy man had not told me the name of his story. It is the story, I think, about a boy with a backpack navigating the great maze in search of the blue stones. It is about a place called Ah. It is the story, I think, of a girl up in the tree, the mermaid of Katamahaika, a peculiarly romantic story Love is unscrambled, lives are screwed, Nipples moistened with chocolate are licked, Nibbled and strudled, Cherry baskets on blankets are everywhere plenty. Berry bushes that shake idly in the gentle breezes Betwixt the sun and moon Turn breathlessly busy during midweek afternoons, And there are fools. There are many kinds of fools in his story, Brilliant fools, stupid fools, crooked fools, blind fools, thoughtless fools mostly. They all blend in nicely. You are on the journey, and it's time for our question of the week. Oh yes, our question of the week is simple. What is your strange question? What is that little question which for you is slowly becoming huge one of the central themes of this book flight of the fused monkeys is that very question Uh, the holy man points to one particular set of questions that have always captivated humanity and always will the which we'd be that much the wiser answered but there is one question that holds the mother load it is that question that drives one of the central characters of this book baba it is a small question he used to think it a weird question ah it is the question that is huge Now, Baba is the son of the president of the Western Iconic region, and he is the son of the most famous planet hunter that ever was, an inventor, a clever genius. Baba loves his grandpa, and each of these men love their sons. Strong bonds, unbreakable bonds, wealthy relationships. But two unchangeable things would come between fathers and sons that will change the course of their worlds. Bluestones and walls. Here is a wee bit about walls. In the great maze where the boy lived, though he did not really live in the maze, for that's just how it is there. There are mountainous walls, many mountainous walls, and these are spectacular. One unassailable on wall, the young holy man told me, is comprised of humongous tumbling waters. In the fullness of daylight, this wall is like mirrored glass, and its sound by day he likened to seven Niagara's thundering down the shares of an Everest. At night, this wall is as pristine as a moonlit pond, and during the frigid seasons, no glacier known to woman or beast could rival its immaculate beauty. This is an amazing wall. It is spectacular. Then there is the verdant wall, This wall, the holy man, likened to an impregnable forest, thickened with huge trees and high canopies, in and around which many kinds of birds thrive, and beneath which are many kinds of beasts. The magic of this forested wall stretches for eons, deep beyond the shadows of its blinding darkness. This wall breathes, as would mighty sleeping giants in the land of little people. Wherever the sun lights this wall, it is green, every hue of green, with magnificent flowers clumped and scattered in between. This verdant wall feeds its wide diversity of species sufficiently. These species alone know the secrets of this wall, and they tell no one, though all the peoples of the great maze inhale its wild aromas, and therefore can sleep. It is an awesome wall. And it is spectacular. There is too the rock wall. This rock wall, piled nigh to the sky with giant boulders, which nature sculptured throughout the annals of time into jagged cliffs, deep caves, eye-popping crevasses, and colourful curvaceous hills, consists of several kinds of stones and precious metals and hard rocks. Its vegetation is rare. In the broadness of day, one part of this wall the holy man likened to a wall of fire. Seen from just the right angle at just the right hour, another part of this rock wall is as a golden face with sturdy eyes and a gentle smile. Under starlight, this wall sparkles, but it rumbles whenever the night is cold and spits whenever the day is quite hot. It spits like an ornery child. It spits bloody red, crimson, and yellow. It spits and coughs, coughing up black, magnificent hills. And sometimes it roars. This is a gigantic wall. It is spectacular. Then there is the woven wall. The woven wall is as majestic as the great pyramids, the young holy man told me. Built with talents from time immemorial, talents equal to the skills of those contracted to construct the remarkable architectures he saw in India, and China, and Africa, and Arabia, and the Yucatan Peninsula. The climbs of this wall rivals the majesty of the great ruins of Machu Picchu. The young holy man's face shone as he spoke of this wall. Many gathered there, he explained, to give thanks For it is to this purpose this wall was constructed it is an incredible wall indeed it is spectacular many mighty walls rise to the sky throughout the great maze some are ancient some are new some are revered some are dedicated to a peculiar god and some to the unknowable god Some are dedicated to the terrible God and others to a patient God and others still to a sleeping God whose foretelling of a day of vengeance is said to be long, but not far away, for this God needs much rest. Some are dedicated to gods of health and to gods of wealth and to gods that watch over old women and babies. Sacrifices are plenty to these gods. So the young holy man told me. There are demigods too. Children of some gods are soldiers of war. They are fearsome. Children of some gods are angels of peace. They are poor. While one god reigns here and another god reigns there, God, the only true God, ruminates. Indeed, while little gods reign, the Almighty ruminates. That's what the young holy man told me. Some walls are not easily seen, he said, and some walls are never touched, but the floating blue wall, the most stupendous of all walls, is as visible as the day is present, and it is far in every way some kind of spectacular the floating blue wall is the wall of walls. It is poetry still, written anew each and every instant, at each and every blink of each and every hour. It is a cosy wall, and it is huge. It hugs the great maze. Some say it is a silent wall. Some say it is not silent at all, but that its dwellers have clogged ears. Nevertheless, it is an altogether awesome wall." So the young holy man told me. Curiously though, considering all things, if not simply ironic, it is indeed quite tragic that the boy Baba, though so precious and so sweet and so not a mamma's boy, should be born in a space so claustrophobic, a place so full of fantastic spaces and awesome walls, a place so grand and majestic. A place so full of beauty, and not in the place where wonders never cease. It truly seemed tragic. One day, while passing by the woven wall on his way to Fountainhead, Baba noticed a crowd of boys and girls scampering toward the Scarlet Plaza. He skated over to see what was happening there, and saw that the Cartwoman had arrived, as usual, oversized, "'having padded and puffed up everything on and about her that could be padded or puffed. "'Her hair, as usual, was fake and firm and bowed and curled "'and roped down all the way past the crack of her padded rump, "'which, as usual, she had architected so voluptuously. "'You'd think a cartoon had come alive, "'poised to turn an eager mule into a sexy sphinx.' The cartwoman set her overflowing shopping cart to the side, and riding high atop her red heels, she stepped up onto the catwalk, her strides perfectly measured, perfectly picked and placed. And when, as usual, the gathered boys and girls began to giggle and to mock, she paused with poise, and in her usual mannish growl, that was croakier than the frog that swallowed a fat owl, she spat her rhyme. With not a note spoiled. What's all the fuss? Why all the fight? Whether it be day or it be night. You're gonna die. We're all gonna die. You, you, you and you. You're gonna die. Whether you run. Whether you hide. You'll poop what you eat, then eat what you poop. You're gonna die. You, you, you and you, you're gonna die. We're all gonna die. At the end of this rhythmic prophetic round, she sashayed. Then she repeated a prophecy. Then she sashayed interlacing prophecy and sachet as she went she strode the catwalk all the way to the far side then swung around with a grand swoosh and primly interlacing prophecy and sachet wended her way back to where she began and stepped down and took her cart with neither a bauble or a smile she strolled steadily and rhythmically through the gauntlet of derision confidently exuding her catatonic voluptuousness underscoring her rhyme in the rumpus what's all the fuss why all the fight whether it be day or it be night you're gonna die we're all gonna die you 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 and you you're gonna die whether you run or whether you hide "'You'll poop what you eat, then eat what you poop. "'You're gonna die. "'You, you, you and you, you're gonna die. "'We're all gonna die.' "'The gathered boys and girls had great fun mocking and chanting, "'for they had forgotten in this while that in the dead of coming nights "'some of them asleep will wet their beds.' While others, sleepless, will stoop, peeking at the dark, counting the gallops of the reaper that travels with a scythe, the reaper that carries a sack on his back, and the measurement of every living neck in his sack. Oh, neurosis, neurosis! Oh, psychosis, psychosis! Oh, phobias! Fair, being so brutal! When the cold wind hits, what does it flutter? Tell me, what does it flutter? That's the young holy man's story. But that's not what Mrs. Trummel told her son, Hovarth when he dashed into her, breathless and worried after the encounter. Mother, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Am I going to die? Hovarth inquired. Hovarth, breathe! She grabbed him by his shoulders and shoved him into her chair. Breathe, Hovarth. breathe! Are you really that afraid of dying, Hovarth? He didn't have to think the question over. Yes, he said, yes, yes. Then fix your fare, Hovarth. fix that. Once you fix fare, Hovarth, you will never have a reason to worry over anything again. Fare is a pesky little tricky thing. Fix fare here and it will be fixed everywhere how do i fix it mother face it hovart face it face your fear then well oh, what a story you will have to tell face it hovart face your fear <laughs> and yes what a story has turned out to be you'll agree it was quite a different story for the frisky little spider for what the black widow told the cute little frisky thing when he whisked over to her web very much like Hovrath ran into his house having the same question and concern was quite different from what Hovarth's mother told him is it true miss bw the spider inquired am i going to die miss bw laughed at the question she laughed uproariously she turned to the spunky young spider batting her beautiful eyelashes you're just too funny she said "It's so cute come sweetie come lie with me into my chamber and let me see oh what a tasty fill he turned out to be however this sordid question did not enter baba's mind he skated off to fountainhead passing lever's cave where so often passion's lit fling sparks into the stars which pitch and search for that timely wish, lacking which, they float emberless into a distant dark. He sped past great stone, unaware that one day this stone will stand in memory of his glory. It will stand as a place of inspiration, a space for wonderment, a place of awe. Athleticism and daring in full flare, Baba sped down whistling winds through the swirling. Curves of fingerprint labyrinth. Swoosh! 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 He skated past Willow Peak, Moulin Rouge, drallian's Amazing Juggler, and Café du Monde. And when he arrived at Fountainhead, he took up his skateboard and went and sat where the spring turns red and the doves are fed. Quietly he sat facing the pond, hoping the strange voices would come through the pipes again. He hoped they would divulge their strange secrets, but the pipes were quiet when he arrived. So he waited. Time crawled through the whistling wind. The pipes banged and binged, still no voices. He watched sunlight playing ripples like the strings of Pushkin's harp. It splashed sparkles into his face, reminding him of childhood days in his Nana's glass room through which the sun hobnobbing with fluttering trees would toss jigsaw puzzles across the floor. It reminded him, too, of how he used to grab at the fluttering patterns but could not catch them. He could see them on the floor. He could see them on his palm. He could grab them. But when he opened his hand, there was nothing there absolutely nothing this used to puzzle him when he was a child you see nana began bringing baba into this glass room fearing for his safety in her many other rooms for anywhere there was a wall or some semblance of a wall baba was able to find some way to climb over it or crawl under it or creep around it or go through it creating panic in the household it didn't help any that one time Baba found Nana's pearl and stuffed it up his nose. It got stuck there. Another time, at least once so far as is known, he swallowed Nana's brooch whole. They slapped his back and the brooch flew out. It was not safe to leave Baba alone when he was a wee child. In her uncluttered glass room, though, nana could paint her masterpieces while observing how baba's eyes glowed marvelling at the jigsaw shadows dancing across the mahogany floor when the season changed he marvelled at falling snowflakes as if he were in the globe looking out at the snow the season's many vibrant changes were such you'd think time the master artist was painting that wide yonder to keep baba marvelling and to save him from further trouble. So it was that Baba was able to marvel at many things. There, the jigsaw. There, the snowflakes. There, the brushstrokes of autumn's collage. Baba could see them and touch them, but he could not grasp them. Therefore, they caused him no more trouble. He bobbled and bounced around in awe. Indeed, ever since baba was a wee thing he had a fascination for lights a fixation on walls and a liking for festive hues yet no one knew how huge a role these would play in what would become of him baba's curiosity was huge in fact baba was the first to discover his grapa lee's secret secure gate other than grapa lee he was the only person able to decode it. Hmm, Ali remarked through a wry smile when he witnessed this ingenuity. We are the immigrants of the technologies we devise. You are the natives. It is a grand time to be the native. It's a grand time. Hmm. But Grappali was not really surprised. Back a fountain head with broad, uncluttered landscapes and rippling waters in clear view. Playful sparkles distracted Baba from the pipe's continued silence. Something in the wind caused him to reflect upon some of the songs Nana used to sing for him in the glass room. Songs like "Hero," "One Day I'll Fly Away." Ain't no mountain high enough, and other such songs, and a song which always seemed to bring the surrounding trees into an extended frenzy, that nana ripping rendition of This is my life. For so it was with all good songs, the young holy man told me. They swirl like joyful waves throughout the entire universe, throughout every realm. Well, Baba had waited long enough. Just as he was about to retrieve his skateboard and return home through the secret way so that Yossi would not feel compelled to seek and find him, he heard chatter. He got closer and heard as clear as church bells a voice coming through the pipes. His heart raced. He heard two voices. Now, three voices. These were agitated voices. They were plotting destruction. They planned to destroy the criss-cross walls. Baba had never heard of criss-cross walls. Indeed, the great maze is made none the easier to navigate by the existence of so many criss-cross walls, the young holy man told me. Criss-cross walls, all of which are man-made, slow everything down, he said. Some criss-cross walls are quite impressive, but some are plain. Some shut people out, some shut people in. Some are idealized, and some hide graves. Criss-cross walls are like libraries of the thoughts and passions of their architects. That's what the young holy man told me. These are not walls made of brick and mortar, or of hay and mud or of wood. They are provocative walls. Occasionally they lore, often they obscure. Though Baba knew nothing of crisscross walls, Yaya knew a lot about them. She knew it as the S619 matrix. Yaya lived a swirling long way from Baba, so he had never heard of her. How very strange it is, isn't it, that some people have the good fortune of brains and beauty, while others have the bad fortunes of lousy timing? The young holy man said. Strange indeed. Well, Yaya had both. The journey is available free on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Rio Sports Radio, and several of your favorite internet platforms. Download, embed, and share via any of the social media you love. You are listening to excerpts of Flight of the Fused Monkeys by Neville D'Angelo. A remarkable story. Some actually call it a prophetic story. Here to lead us out, is one more excerpt. Baba thanked the woman for her story. Grateful but still heavy-hearted, he traveled on, mulling over all that he had seen and heard. The story the woman shared reminded him of the boy and the bully, a story Grandpa Lee told him first the bully just shoved the boy around soon the bully took over the boy's land and got himself a gun but one gun was not enough because he did not know where the boy went and whether the boy had grown strong so the bully got two guns two guns were not enough for the noises in the night gave him crooks in his neck so he got three guns he saw leeches and bees and praying mantises and squirrels and because he wasn't sure what the boy now looked like he got four guns those guns were not enough he had to have more guns the walls around the bully were thick and high and he boasted power and might And when armies of ants made tracks through his lawns, He got bombs and was armed with a smile, But other ants came from behind, So he ordered more bombs. When he blew up his lawns and created a mess, It was the grubs, not the ants, That brought his house down to build for themselves A nice little nest. Then his walls came down, He saw in the distance gardens that were pruned, and markets that were wide, and a bank that was helpful. When he went there, the boys that were tellers wore plenty of smiles. Now, because the bully was proud and mighty and strong, he demanded the highest attention and said to the boys, "'Don't smile so wide until you can afford it. Life is expensive.' by the time you can afford that size smile your health will be all wrong life is rough it is tough and expensive don't smile so wide until you can afford it while the bully was advising these boys he did not notice behind him the owner of the bank and the markets and the gardens who stood patiently waiting for him to stop talking when the bully was done the friendly banker introduced himself to the bully Then the bully to the smiling tellers, for those boys, the tellers, were the banker's sons, and each thanked him for coming. Seeing that the banker was young and healthy and strong, the bully asked him how he was able to afford such a huge spread when life is so expensive and health can go so wrong. Very easy, the banker said. Very easy. You see, I learned as a boy that some people will need guns, and those guns will not be enough. They will need bombs, and those bombs will not be enough. They will need to finance their needs, because security is not cheap to the strong who know they are weak. So I taught my sons how not to make life so expensive by wanting so much you cannot afford to own it. I showed them how life is abundant and full of fun only if to stand back and to watch how fools spend it, and if you want to earn a great living, I told them, remember, the weak will always need protection, so they'll find a way to fund it. The hunter's life is short and much more precarious than that of his prey. The hunter just doesn't know it. I wish I had such a teacher, the bully said. You did, the banker said. You taught it. Baba climbed the tranquil mountain to the place where the monks meditate and to where they sit to listen for the whispers of the universe. Up there he saw a soldier bedecked as one of high rank. This soldier had wide hands lifted. His posture reminded Baba of his Nana's painting, the one in her bedroom, the one with the girl in blue, whose hands were opened high and from which the bird flew into the sky. Baba listened to this highly ranked man. Baba heard all that he was saying. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rot and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Baba made steady progress across the golden fields and came to where the elk and fawn should be. They were not there. He looked around to see if he had lost his way. His coordinates were correct. He pressed to where the train should be, even though the elk was not there. When he got close enough, he saw the fawn crouched betwixt the grass flowers. He looked to see where the elk might be, wondering if the elk had moved on without her fawn, wondering if the fawn was lost or wounded. He approached the fawn. The fawn was skittish at his approach, when it had never been skittish before. When the fawn sprang from the flowered grass and ran, Baba lifted his head to follow her run and saw what the problem was. Oops! Assassins! See you next week.